Welcome, everyone. I'm Susan Shatter, the president of the National Academy, which is where you are tonight. This is the end of our third season of the review panel, and <clears throat> the Academy has been very proud to host it, and I want to give a particular thanks tonight to the creator of the review panel, David Cohn. who organizes uh, the shows and brings on the critics. David is also an art critic himself, a contributing editor at the New York Sun. He's editor and publisher of artcritical.com, and he's the gallery director at the New York Studio School. I'd also like to give a thanks to our sound engineer, Graham White, who records all the review panels, and you can listen to them on Art Critical. David posts them up in due time. And I would also like to thank Christine Widmer, our uh, Director of Education Public Programs. The review panel is sponsored by the New York State Council on the Arts, the Daedalus Foundation, and the Edith and Herbert Lehman Foundation. Okay, David. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Susan, and thank you especially to you. Uh, before you even became president, you, you worked to bring the review panel here. We're all in your debt for that and much else. And thanks to Annette Blaugrund and, and, and all the staff here for what they do. And thanks to uh, Dinah Higgins, can, uh, who is uh, editorial assistant at artcritical.com, for putting together our, our PowerPoint display. So, this evening we have a, as you may have noticed, we are conducting a little bit of an experiment in that we are streamlining the, the number of guests so that we can see what that does to the dynamic and to the conversation. But our guests uh, compensate in quality for, even if you feel you're cheated in, in quantity, they are uh, two of the most distinguished voices of their generation of art writers, which indeed is my generation of art writers. So. <laughs> They are, on my left, Andrea Scott, who is art editor of Time Out New York and a contributor to the New York Times. And on my right, Katie Siegel, who is associate professor at Hunter College and a contributing editor at Art Forum. Katie is also known and revered in this building for her uh, curatorial work. She organized the exhibition High Times, Hard Times, which is now moving to Mexico City. Ladies and gentlemen, those are your guests. And I venture to guess that many of you are old hands at the review panel, but let me just briefly remind you of what we do. We've been to see five exhibitions, one of them in two parts, and we hope some of you have seen them too. We're going to show brief PowerPoint presentations to refresh our memories of what we looked at. Then we'll have some discussion. And at strategic moments in the evening, you'll be invited to let off steam, probe us with questions, or share your own opinions. Now, the first show that we've been looking at is Tim Hawkinson, a two-part exhibition at uh, Nye House in the National Arts Club and at uh, uh, Pace Wildenstein on 22nd Street. The, the Nye House show was uh, focused on slightly earlier work, and Pace Waldenstein was a, a concentration of, of new pieces. So, Tim Hawkinson, we had a big retrospective of him at the Whitney a few years ago. Um, do, you, do you find, uh, Andrea, let me ask you, do you, do you find him to be uh, uh, a liberating kind of sculpture that really uh, turns you on to new sensations, or do you find this to be, or do you find him a, something of a prankster, or can you be both? Mm, neither for me. Um, not certainly not a prankster, because it's too, you know, it's incredibly earnest, sincere um, work. Uh, and the first thing was liberating. 
which I don't find it. Okay. Um, I, I found, just to speak to these two shows, the show at Pace felt very flat for me. The one, um, or one of the pieces that you didn't show that I thought was funny, but it was kind of funny in a punchline way, was the photograph of Kleenex boxes. Oh, yes. The Gursky Kleenex take. Um, that was there in one of the installation shots, yes. Uh, for me, the, like the footprint and the, the pan- fingerprints, for those of you who saw the show, just missed. I didn't understand the use of the, um, what seemed to be a reference to a Chinese scroll painting in the scrolls. The motorized tree, which you didn't show because perhaps it wasn't working when you were there either. It wasn't, no. Mm-hmm. It was a sort of seemed to be a significant piece that wasn't functioning. Um, and Nye House, on the other hand, I actually didn't um, realize the work was that much earlier. Um, and I wonder if that's maybe why it had a stronger impact. I thought it was a great example of um, context mattering because just the um, space, I thought, was well constructed around the works. Mm. Um, it's always such a trip to go to the National Arts Gallery for a contemporary show anyway. Yes, I mean, the, the, the co- context is, o- is often all. Um, I mean, Katie, yeah, they're, they're two very different archetypes of space in which to see work. A classic Victorian atelier, double, double height, and uh, uh, a Chelsea art barn. Was it, uh, was it the space they were in or the work itself that, that gave these shows a d- distinct flavor in your view? Um, well, I, I have to say I'm, I'm an advocate of, of putting contemporary work in funny old spaces, as, um, <laughs> since we are at the National Academy. Uh, and I did just do it. <laughs> but, and I think that, I think that, um, that everyone is going to be very, very sorry in 10 years that they built all these spaces because I think that um, artwork often looks crappy in them. And, and I, I, had, I was out with a bunch of graduate students on Saturday and we were talking, someone was saying, well, why are there so many project rooms, these small project rooms in the back of galleries now? And I think it's because there's so much art that looks bad in these big, giant white spaces and that it's going to look so dated and and you know like the way people say oh the 80s can you believe people wore those jackets or you know <laughs> I think they're going to think oh my god those spaces are just horrible they're bad for art and they're just so tacky you know I think it's just going to all look tacky in 10 years well, they're good for Sarah yeah well this is yes this is the terrible story that everybody tells of them giving tourists I mean I have a friend who is uh, giving tours for artists when they were doing the new MoMA and before it opened, and I have a friend, an artist who was a sculptor, and he was on the tour, and the, the very nice young curator who was giving the tour kept saying, and Sarah will look great in here, and, and Sarah's gonna be able to fit through this door, and we have an elevator <laughs> big enough for a Sarah. And this is a sculptor who has work in their collection. He was just, because you know, his work's about this big. But, <laughs> but um, so, so that, that said, I think, Partly but, the but do you think Howard Hodgkin looked bad at the Gagosian Gallery? I mean, his paintings about this big. No, some, it, it's, not all, it's not all about scale. It's yeah. not entirely about, about scale. Um, but I think that the, the newer, Hawkinson's newer work, he's trying to do something different. And it's got it's, a strong theme to it, hasn't it? It's, it's the body, different parts of his body, footprint here, uh, thumb he's done, there. He's, he's done that, but before, he's, he's done the part of his body, and he's done the sort of identity thing before with fingerprints and stuff? I think maybe you sell our profession short a little there because uh, one way of looking at it is it needs us to, to make sense of it, but um, I don't think my job is really making sense of things. I think it's more that um, sometimes a really good kind of work is the kind that, um, or a, a, to- a, a criterion of, um, of significance in, in contemporary art is that it addresses and is involved with problems. Which I think his well, I, is. His, yeah. yeah. So what? Let's identify the problems and what 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 sculptural or 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 existential problems is Hawkinson primarily involved with? Then? Why are we here? What does it mean? The you, limits you of the self. questions, yeah. really. Yeah. <laughs> but any of your slides. Yeah. The guy alone in his room, or the one like, what can you come? Up, what's the best that you can come up with, depending only on yourself. You know, so it's not an abstract painting, but he's there with his fingernail clipper and his fingernails and his body and his tub, and you know, he really makes art out of him, out of himself, in a very literal way, often. Yeah. yeah. So, what 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 was the strongest piece in the show? Do you think what resonated with I you? I like most? Scout. I, th- I mean, 
yeah. the, especially of the, the newer work, which I thought was more uneven. I liked Scout very much. There's a sculptor who I have not been able to remember his name for the past like five hours since I saw the show this afternoon, but who did a show at Lehman Maupin, mm -hmm. uh, carved out of what appeared to be marble, but with some kind of resin, and it was the same piece. That's so and funny. It, why the hand? I mean, the hands and feet and genitalia being larger. It's where more nerve endings yeah. are in the body. Mm -hmm. um, to me, I, and I, I doubt that Tim Hawkinson knows this artist's work, mm -hmm. but I'd already seen it. Mm -hmm. uh, Ron Muick also has made, you know, Dead Dad is this very shrunk figure, but in which precisely those parts are out of proportion. What did you like about Scout? I thought it was funny. I like the using. I like, I always like when people make things out of ordinary materials, so making it out of the packing material, and I thought it was very witty, the sort of making the, the buckskin um, fringe thing, and also, because, I guess I partly liked it because, um, and this is probably just imagining stuff on, on my part, I feel like I saw a lot of, um, I feel like I've seen a lot of Western art lately, mm -hmm. art that had Western themes, and it was in the um, Jonathan, Jonathan Monk show that was just closed at Casey Kaplan. Um, I, was a, I was teaching an uh, MFA seminar at Yale this semester, and I saw a lot of a weirdly cowboy art and I think there's a lot of interest in the West partly because he's maybe people are from LA but also because of the wild western atmosphere we find right. ourselves in na nationally politically right now I'm not sure so I guess I may be overreading but masculine artists interested in masculinity and and sort of western themes I, I find I interesting the artist as scout that's how I sort of read yeah. it the artist you know leading the scouting yeah. expedition for us Forging a new path. It relates formally, doesn't it, to that earlier piece, The Skeleton, where he's using uh, dog chews uh, to, to reconstitute skulls, and these are then sewn. Uh, or with the piece where the earlier piece that was at the Whitney, where he looks down at his body, and so he draws himself as seen in perspective mm -hmm. from his, mm -hmm. his, his perspective. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a sort of psychogeography of a body. You know? I like the foam piece at Nye House um, that was sort of psychogeography yeah. in a perfect way. Like the, topography of his body where he filled the bathtub mm -hmm. with paint and photographed himself yeah. at various stages and then carved it out with green styrofoam. Yeah. I find him an interesting artist because um, in, in, in one way he's very conceptual. He has an idea and follows it through and mm -hmm. the following through is almost, is, is very largely about the idea. But at the same time I think that there's kind of a real tactile, visceral engagement with materials that relates to a, uh, a much more um, a preconceptual kind of sculpture, and uh, <laughs> while I don't necessarily love the works or think the works are, uh, each individual work is, is, is necessarily that extraordinary, the, the fact that here's an artist who's maybe sort of a synthesis of two kinds of modes of sculpture, the, the mm -hmm. conceptual and the more perceptual, or rather not perceptual, but the more uh, um, haptic, mm -hmm. um, is, is exciting for mm -hmm. me. Yeah, I found yeah, actually... The, sorry? I mean, the Rodin model, it's not, I mean, when you say post or pre-conceptualized... Well, uh, I mean, all sculpture up to, uh, you know... No, I mean, Rodin's uh, just the epitome of, of a kind of uh, tradition of sculpture that goes way further back than Rodin. I mean, it goes, goes back to uh, the Venus of Willendorf. And, um, no, so... Uh, which looks a little bit like Scout, in a way. Like, make a nice couple. <laughs> I'm, sure I'm sure they'd be very happy together. In fact, my, my, I think my personal favorite piece in the show was the totem, uh, which is in a way was... Um, yeah, that's uh, That's the one I take home. Um, really? It's not the one that really moves, moves the language forward, but it's, um, it's just a very happy, felicitous, fun piece. It comes right out of you know, Picasso using the handlebar to denote the bull or uh, the... the, the the, the toy car to denote uh, the baboon's face. Uh, so it's very traditional in that way, but um, kind of fun, cute. Mm -hmm. um, and um, that's what I mean about the, the solo group show, that he's somebody who, who is kind of protean and um, uh, he just needs to, has to produce. I mean, that piece that you mentioned with the Kleenex, I thought that was very witty and really worked. It's sort of pyramid. It's, it's um, you know the way that the diminishing scale really suggests either a pyramid or a, uh, a receding into space, uh, the vanishing point, but the way that it also had a kind of, um, the way the material buckled under the pressure of being applied gave it a very, gave the, gave a kind of surface tension to the piece that then worked against that perspectival illusion. So that's just an example. That's not 
a conceptually important thing in itself, the way that happened. But it's just uh, it's symptomatic of an artist who, who, who is making and seeing and just enjoys that side of things. Great. Well, let's move to another artist then. Do, Sorry. Do, 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 they, do, do, do they get to ask questions? I mean, when do we interact? Okay. Well, um, all you need to know is the driver has his eye on the road. Oh, there you go. You have the unique pleasure and privilege of being, of, being, uh, of being a passenger. Evidently a backseat driver, but a passenger, a passenger nonetheless. So enjoy the view, enjoy the ride, and trust me, and trust me, I know which traffic lights to stop at and which to go through. So uh, decapper, please. Great. The next show, continuing the, the theme, perhaps, of the sculptor as inventor, Julian Swartz, another artist made more familiar to us by the Whitney. Um, some of us remember her work, not this last, but the Biennale before, where the, she had an installation in the stairwell, um, a sound piece. Good. So, um, what uh, Juliana Swartz um, compared to compared? Well, no. What kind of experience did we have, uh, Katie? Um, so I'll say that um, that uh, I was excited because I I actually didn't know her work at all, and um, I hadn't been to this ga gallery in a very long time, and I hadn't even been in that building for a very long time on West Twentieth Street. And there are you know there's a bunch of galleries in there that are perfectly respectable ga galleries, and then I just realized, oh my God, there are so many. Galleries. How does everyone go go to them all the you, time? You've only noticed this. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's just so exponential. You know, I realize yes. oh, these are galleries I used to go to maybe five years ago, and now I just don't don't have time. Oh. Um, but so then, and then I was terribly dis disappointed. I, I guess you know, I, I really dis disliked the the work, and it's like it's not so different from other things that I might like. That you know, I liked that there were sort of refuse or that it moved like a little tea bag or plastic and it moved and you know sort of that do-it-yourself kind of thing but it was so um and and I I felt like the artist is probably a very nice per person that I would like and I like the back I like the back room very much and I was thinking Whoa. oh this is a collaboration it's good because someone has stopped her like Tim Hawkinson is so much himself and in a way sometimes it's too much but maybe it's it's he couldn't be anything else, or the work wouldn't be interesting. Um, and this person needs some kind of um, distraction or interruption of her personality, which the work was so consistent, um, and it was prissy. You know, so the, even the use of concrete, I found very mm, fussy. You know, so um, and and then sometimes it went over the overboard. To, and I was I'm actually happy because I thought, oh, I'm not going to disagree with Andrea about anything, and I have the feeling to disagree about this. So, you know, mm -hmm. there's that. So a little excitement, yeah. a little tension. But, but yeah, for me, it was, it was prissy and not good. I think it knew that it was prissy, and it was living with its own prissiness very well. <laughs> I, do, I don't, I um, uh, really, gosh, there's nothing you, an artist would less like to hear than she means well, which is, uh, uh, but uh, I, I, yeah. Well, you know, um, I, I felt that this had um, had an energy to it. I didn't didn't find I was necessarily specifically exhilarated by any individual piece, except perhaps the the, the room in the back, um, which really was fun to, to be with and and, and expect and listen to. Um, but you know, I have a soft. I have again, it's it's a throwback to earlier moments in in modernism. I have a uh, a really big soft spot for uh, uh, art and music collaborations, and for um, uh, I have for for for, uh, um, for that sort of uh, very optimistic moment in in art from from the constructivists right through to the revival of sort of constructivism in the 1950s, where people felt that uh, you know science might have been a good thing and might have some, some, some new forms, some, some, some uh, forms of things unknown to share with the world. And um, so it had a little bit of that energy. And um, it, again, uh, funnily enough, Tongli, who I mentioned in relation to uh, uh, um, Hawkinson. Hawkinson, seems to have some, yeah. this seems to be some relevance here. And um, uh, there's, a, there's a particular artist who does, uh, the name has escaped me, um, uh, the signals uh, artist of the a uh, Greek artist of the fifties, 
Um, Gak, thank you. Brilliant. Andrea is always right. <laughs> Andrea. Very much, but that's relevant. So, um, Katie says, prissy and means well, but f no. I say, I like it, but it's not great, bit of a throwback. Let's have the third position. Well, I don't want to be forced into the third position, but I'll, you know, the, in other words, like. Well, let's hear like your view. Name, okay. Fabulous. But I will say that it's an artist whose work I've followed. So mm -hmm. unlike Katie, um, mm -hmm. I followed the work. And uh, conceptually or um, emotionally, in this case, there's something I find very risky in the content. Mm -hmm. um, and it may be that as I get older, a kind of adolescent tendency, um, a subversiveness in art, which I think is um, vital and powerful, but which starts to sometimes feel like so many teenage yeah. boys at a party. Um, the sort of, you know, fanatoptic. Um, there was a show at the kitchen, which I was quite disappointed in, mm -hmm. um, the title of which was Kick It Till It Breaks. And that kind of sums up. And I understand um, like, uh, there's a lot of work right now that is politically engaged, but not um, explicitly political. Mm -hmm. I think I'm quoting my own <laughs> Louise <laughs> Nelson review there. But, um, uh, and it's not that, uh, that Julianne's work is political, but it is endorsing Jesus. And Tim Hawkinson is Christian, and I, I'm not. I'm going to sound Christian. Endorsing him love and hope and some of the ideas that are thrust front and center that I find actually quite risky for an mm -hmm. artist conceptually. Now, there were two pieces that um, literally use wire in the shape of hearts. It was a very frightening Jim Dine moment. Mm -hmm. um, and I think should be reconsidered, so I can't mm -hmm. just say that I've endorsed that. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking a lot, um, because I wrote about an artist named Gago. Has anyone oh. seen the show at the Drawing yeah. Center? So great. Mm. So, so great. So here we have you know, someone dealing with wire, with um, transparency, invisibility. I felt that maybe some of the reception that I had of Julianne's show did sort of is fallout from my mm -hmm. gago joy. But so, but so much, you know, that's so much tougher work. You know, this is so much, this to me is like crosses the line into like, you know, the flower that comes up between the cracks of the sidewalk. Do, do you know? Yeah, that, I like seeing that flower yeah. in the cracks of the sidewalk. Yeah, I guess I would like to see, like, like, what are the conditions for the optimism? You know, like, wh why? I hate all that wor other work too, the sort of right. fake political but I have a maid clean my room and I right. go to fancy dinners kind right. of work. But, but um, like this, you know, I, I'm not sure what are, what are the grounds for the optimism of this work besides some sort of timeless humanism that right. I you know, well, don't subscribe to. I mean, I would say formally, but another thing I want to say about having followed the work for a while is that previously her work has so, so owed a debt to Sarah Z. Mm -hmm. And here I felt, mm -hmm. oh, she's... And it, it was formally uh, very consistent mm -hmm. in a way that was disappointing. But it felt like a transition for an artist. It felt like a young artist struggling to resolve some formal issues in mm -hmm. her work and taking it in a direction that was her own. I mean, prissy isn't a word that would come to me boring, though, possibly. But it's different. I can see from that perspective, it, it makes it much more interesting. Sarah, yeah. Sarah Z, because there were long plastic tubes with bits attached to them? Yeah, or or for any of, conceptual reason? Um, no, no, just for Just, aha. Uh -huh. Because it seems to me, I mean, it, Sarah Z could take credit for that, but it could be just an, a, symptom, a symptom of installation art that uses found materials and, and, and has mm -hmm. lines in it. It could go back to any number of installation artists. Isn't, um, aren't you identifying Sarah Z as the progenitor? Because she might be the immediate cause. I, I think certainly yeah. uh -huh. she's the immediate cause in a lot of, uh -huh. a lot of people that age. You know, who right. she yeah. was so seemed so dominating at that right. moment. That mm -hmm. sort of slightness and, and offhandedness. The progenitor of a certain kind of twisted wire, bring it up. You know, sort of that yeah. that, that Brancusi's question: how to bring it up, bring mm -hmm. sculpture up, yeah. answering it in this particular kind of gravity-defying way. Yeah, yeah. Did the sound element? We haven't really addressed the sound element, and did that? What what did that? Add. I mean, that, what was that? How, how fundamental to the experience was that? Obviously, with the collaboration with a composer in the back room. He's not a composer. He's, he a, is, he's the guy that um, built motorized the it. Yeah. Uh -huh. it. The song was It's a Small World After All, which, no, along no, with no, the heart. Yeah. Yes. And I'm totally unironic. I don't know, maybe there was just. But I see, had, look, that's, it's a small world. It's like, you know, Disney. 
globalization. Right, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. You write about the songs to pick. It's not such a great. It's not something I can feel so good about yeah, right, yeah. right now, but good I love the the room because it had it was tougher than the, you know it had that plainness and the severeness that I think the work right. needed. I thought the room was lovely and in, right. in, a, in a totally positive sense. It wasn't as twee. It wasn't twee. It wasn't as twee, but it was as pussy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll settle for twee. And, so we'll settle for twee rather than pussy. I'm sorry. And, uh, <laughs> and we all agree that she means well. Good. So I think this is a point we've we've looked twee, here. Twee. Twee. It's, I'm wonderful. It is, and it's. I thought I was corrected early in my writing career in, in the in the New World, and told that that was an Americanism, like a, a Britishism, a Britishism which I couldn't use. T W double E. I recently used the word glee, and people didn't know what it meant. Yes, it's the double E has fallen out of popularity. No, I think it is a Britishism which is sort of due to me, and now you two is is entering entering the mainstream. I'm delighted to hear it, we. A twee is like uh, precious, cutesy, cutesy. Yeah. Yes. Twee is like precious or cutesy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, anyway, let's not get too linguistic because I'd like to hear the Dude, or, what the audience. What's our day job? Let's 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 find what the audience feels on Hawkinson and and on Swartz and and whether whether they'd like to relate the two or or. Or, or take us to task, or share, share their insights. So, um, yes, the gentleman there. Oh, but if you could just wait for the mic, that would be great. Here it is. Oh, thanks. Is it on? Okay. I, this, this question is um, to Katie, and y you had mentioned, I, I suppose, as a criticism that um, Julian's show is a bit uh, do-it-yourself. And I, I, I was wondering, you know, thinking, like, a lot of art is do-it-yourself, or you're supposed to take it as do-it-yourself, whether it seems mass-produced or not. And I was wondering if you could talk about it, at least the difference or similarity in that usage with Tim's show and Julianne's it's show. A, it's a really good question. It, it wasn't a criticism of her work. You know, I think do-it-yourself is, is neutral to positive. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a phenomenon. And I think it's... I, I wrote an essay called Do-It-Yourself five, five years ago now, like a really long time ago. And you were there for two tenths. I can't even remember. It was for a show at the Barbican, and it was Amer young American artists, including Sarah, Sarah Z. But even then, you could see it. You you could see it so um, so clearly, and that it was that it that it in, in young artists from New York and L.A. And I think it's true now that um, that there was some people who have a do-it-yourself materially. I think you know, with putting stuff putting stuff together um, that you would find in the streets and making up your own skills, you know, someone like Vic Muniz, but also younger people, like every time you do something, you invent a new skill and maybe you're not so great at it, but, and it relates to, and maybe also like crocheting and knitting and all, all that kind of, the do-it-yourself phenomenon of craftiness, which I think is a theme in, all, in a lot of the work we're seeing tonight. It it's is. like super do-it-yourself. It just won't go away. And I think that's partly because um, it's really an important phenomenon in an industrialized, mass-produced society. So, so do-it-yourself has that material crafty component, and then it also has this component of inward, self-regarding roman romanticism, like your, with emphasis. One is the emphasis on do it. The other one would emphasize yourself. You know, and I think but that Tim Hawkinson just... falls into the yourself category more, and maybe Julianne falls more into the, the do it, you know, the part. But, but DIY actually presumes uh, mass production and industrial control, because it's do it yourself, meaning assemble it yourself at home, but you're buying a kit that is 99% uh, no. no, no, of the no, way no. there. Punk rock was DIY. No, it's, do it, it's not from it's, a kit. It's, yeah. it's, mm -hmm. I mean, the, there's the Warhol do it yourself. Then it's a very funny use of the, the term. Painting. But, it's, but do it yourself is, is, is an idea of like. Well, otherwise, it's just art. It's, not, it's not self assembly required. Uh huh. But I think that's the, the difference. Yeah. 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 Okay. That would be a great title for a show. Yeah. I'm going to use that next record. time. Yes. Okay. Uh, again, that's a cultural problem because linguistic problem because in Britain, di do it yourself means a kind of it doesn't mean that you've created it ex nihilo. It means you've assembled it from pre-made oh, parts. It can mean Are you that. Sure, I it doesn't mean it here as well. Yeah, I, it meant it in the like the do it yourself Andy Warhol, yes. the painting from 1962, do it yourself, which mm -hmm. was of a painting kit. Yes. That's, that's the do-it-yourself. But I think today it means much uh -huh. more the idea of a return to the commons, you know, like this fantasy uh -huh. of a moment before industrialization and right. fraction of labor when everyone did everything for Craft yourself. Little, yes. Yeah, so mm. like, like the mm -hmm. sort of um, homie or Martha circles. Stewart kind of I thing. See. You raise your own pigs and you knit your own clothing and, you know, okay. that kind of stuff. 
Good. We'll all try it. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry, you're out of a job in the back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, uh, some more comments on those two shows, or are we uh, just raring at the bit for Dana shots? Uh, yes, sir. Well, I, I thought uh, Hawkinson, uh, what I really liked about it was the, the idea of... Uh, uh, you got, sorry, we are recording it, so it won't, you won't be picked up unless you could wait for the mic. So a young lady is going to bring it to you. Um, on Hawkinson, I think what I really liked about it was uh, is sort of the inventiveness uh, that there wasn't any instructions with this stuff. Uh, you gather um, modern materials. I mean, somebody mentions Duchamp. Everybody does, but uh, there wasn't any urinals here. It was uh, a plastic cartons and a Coleman uh, water jug, those kind of things. And and uh, it's kind of like he has an idea and he's going to work toward it. But there's no there's no roadmap. There's no set of instructions for how to do this thing. So there's a lot of uh, dead ends and they're patched up with glue. It's to the point where I, at the end of this one, after seeing the show at the Whitney, I started thinking that maybe um, I, I can remember the Northern California uh, barrier figurative where the whole painting was based on making it look like it was spontaneous, but it really wasn't. They planned it out. And I got the feeling there that he's done this so many times that even though it's a joy for me to see his work, and how you know, and follow along the thought process of how he got this thing done. Uh, it's almost like maybe it's manufactured to look that way too. Well, okay. compared to no, Julianne, okay. just to finish that off, where hers is just really manufactured in very, uh, and I guess the red hearts did kind of turn me off too yeah. about that whole okay. thing. The opposite. Thank you very much. Great. We can dim the lights. Our next show under consideration. As Dana Schutz and Zach Foyer. Well, this was my first chance to write about Dana Schutz, uh, who's been this for not much talked about phenomenon. And, um, you know, I was just really taken, really bowled over. Uh, this isn't my aesthetic, because there seems to be a tremendous amount at the moment of the faux naive, of um, painting that takes a lot from uh, comics and uh, that the comic sensibility and um, a kind of uh, strong, strong weakness, a sort of um, a, an expressionism that's sort of rooted in being hi highly personal and um, 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 uh, it's sort of intentionally goofy. Like, like who? Goofy. Yeah. Well, like, like quite a lot. Well, like uh, Bendix Harms uh, will be a name that comes to mind. Um, you put me on the spot, but I, I feel it's, uh, that each of those things could be identified as a fairly prevalent uh, uh, Amy Silman, for instance. Um, hmm. And hmm. If, you, if I had to, I would sit down and look through my notes and come up with other names. But um, I'm surprised that I'm challenged on both sides because those do seem to be, certainly in art schools, fairly prevalent sets of um, uh, inspirations. But as I, as I was, uh, it was a negative preamble to a positive statement in that uh, despite not feeling totally in sympathy with that cocktail of, of what I take to be quite current influences, I, I found the, the energy, the painterly charisma, the inner light to be incredible in these paintings. Was uh, this your first... Show of hers that you've No, I've seen? I've seen I've seen everything there's been, but I, I have this one better. Was this your best? Um, this was. Wow. Uh, this is. I. Uh, you know, there's an interesting <laughs> phenomenon that occurs here, that um, uh, an artist comes along and a Katie Siegel or an Andrea Scott or a Jerry Saltz says, <laughs> wow, this is, a, this, is a, this is a, this is a, this is a, here's the bright new thing. And I look and I say, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then when the penny really drops for me and I think, yes, I, with, I'd say, the third or fourth show, I think, yes, I'm really getting this. The, the of course, the, uh, the prophet in the wilderness who first announced and found and said, ah, dear, no, she's going off the rails. This is, she's not so good anymore. <laughs> So um, I, I suppose it's just as good. It's just, just it's very good for um, um, uh, for art stars that there are critics like me who 
um, a slow starters, but so who just time. arrived to to uh, appreciate it just at the time when the uh, the first takers, as they're known in uh, um, marketing economics, the early adapters, the early adapters are um, thank you, um, That's what are fading slightly. So um, hmm. you're both uh, first adapters, I believe. Uh, early adapters. Um, I know. So much. Big yeah. fan of the painting, personally, loving the Amy Selman. And um, I think that Dana Schutz, it's a shame when, when an extravagantly gifted artist then uh, the, their market is mm -hmm. used against them because, mm -hmm. frankly, I think in her case, particularly, she's just making the paintings. Yeah, she really does. And not she's involved with the, the marketing or right. promotion. Or and <laughs> this, she's not involved in, in trying to create her own market, which many a young artist, you know, is. frankly is. Um, so she is that very sort of romantic model of a painter. I've, I found, I guess I'm launching into what I thought. I found this show to be very transitional. Um, you know, thumbs up for the balls to do that when your paintings are in that, excuse me for my French, but you know, the market is so strong that to take that kind of a risk is, bra is brave. It didn't, for me though, the, the non-objective paintings, just thumbs down to Cleveland, um, mm -hmm. to Mona, which wasn't non-objective, but was just, there's a young painter sort of responding to her history, and I respect that, but I just, the cutting out, which for those of you who haven't seen the show, what appeared to be just black areas mm. are in fact Holes cut velvet in, behind. Yeah, yes. it's like a shadow box, and it—it's not literally black velvet because I touched it, but um, <laughs> I didn't touch the Nevelson, by the way. Um, it says in the. Uh, I try not to read the press releases. Well, I don't care about the press release. It's just you. It says on the checklist that it's velvet. Oh. What did it feel like? Oh, it does. So it is black velvet. What does it feel like? Uh, black paint. Paint. Okay. Low grade velvet. Not a, yeah. not, not a silk velvet. No thread count. Um, yeah. But I just didn't think... Uh, interesting questions that I'm not, I've never made art, and I'm sort of an autodidact, unlike Katie, not... I don't have my PhD. Um, but it's, you know, questions that you think about the picture plane, and some of the, mm -hmm. like, the painting where the fingers were streaking mm -hmm. the um, phone booth, I mean, that kind of dealing with Greenbergian flatness, it's, they're interesting questions. When she literalizes it by creating a shadow box and cutting out... The canvas, it just didn't work for me. And I, I actually asked the dealer what he thought about it. And he said, well, all I can say is that the holes are going to be there for a while. Like, it's an investigation that for her. And wow, Colby College clearly agrees. Well, the holes, I mean, she, she joins the company of Merlin James, but of course many others for whom the puncture goes back to Fontana too, right, doesn't it? Right, but it's different, I think. It's, yeah. it's ham-fisted here for me. I think, and I think too, you can't sort of make, like that's not necessarily the way to make history, is that sort of relentless reference to who, uh, who else has done it. But before, I'm not sure that that's really her interest. And I thought, that, I thought the right. work is incredibly s strong and I've followed her work mm -hmm. for a long yeah. time. So it's sort of boring because we all like it. But well, let's know. find out. We, we may like it for three quite different reasons. But I thought that thing that's going to Colby was, is, was the best painting in the show. I thought it really? Was, I thought it was fantastic. And uh. I guess I, I wrote for her... Her retrospective, you know, her, yes. for her catalog. I used, to, I wrote for her catalog. Um, she had a, she had a show that went from from Boston to, to Cleveland recently. What was that the the eighteen month retrospective? But the thing is, she has a huge body of really consistent work. You know, right. it's a huge mm -hmm. body of totally on target, in, incredibly good work. And she said in an interview for the for the catalog that she um, doesn't know how to talk about. She didn't know how to talk about abstraction, but she thought about it but didn't know how to talk about it and sort of didn't know how to make it. And I think the thing that, for me, that makes her such a good painter is that there are two things. One is the, the I think there's always a, a strong engagement with the social world and the political. It's not just me and my fantasy world with little girls with bunny heads and panties. And, like, I, you know, it's not surrealist, which I don't like. Um, and it's, but it's engaged with the outside world as well as her fantasy world. And the second thing is she's engaged with how to make a painting. Mm -hmm. And for me, this is the difference between John Curran and Lisa Euskavage. You know, people, I'm shocked by people who can't tell the difference or think he's a great painter and she's a not such a good painter. But because mm -hmm. Dana's interested in how to make a painting and, and she's interested in abstraction. And I think that really, it really it's shows. Painting. I mean, but right. some people aren't interested. Like John yeah. is not interested in the sense of, um, 
how to how is a painting made? What is a painting physically? Or that going back and forth between being an object made out of cloth with paint on, mm-hmm. smeared on it mm-hmm. and being a, a, a figure of representation. Mm-hmm. And Dana mm-hmm. is, and those things are not just about sort of Greenbergian things, but fundamental things about splotches and stains right. and weird and the spaces. stains in the painting for me, the birth painting where because it, it, it's yeah. hard as a critic and not as a painter, which is the most mystified practice for me. You know, I inevitably do the. This reminds me of. Yeah. Um, so see st- st- stain painting engaged in that way. So great. In that painting was so just... So it's rust, it's blood. Yeah, it's, and that, it's and the abstract rust really content. Yes, even absolutely. The, even the plane with the taped off area in yeah. the dance painting, which was a little more. Well, that's the me. most abstract painting, I think, in the show, interestingly. I mean, what, what's very rare with this artist is you, you usually, you usually uh, have to choose... Uh, usually there's a painter who's concerned primarily with form and then finds a subject that's a vehicle for that exploration. Or there are artists who are just expressionists who've got to get their, their angst out into the world or else they've got some vision or they've got something to say about the world and, and then they devise the formal means to get there. What's, very, what's, what's that pleasing rarity is to find someone who's the, the, the yin and yang of, uh, uh, of form and content mm-hmm. are really kind artist. of there all yeah. the time. Yes, a great artist. It can also be, of course, a totally schlocky artist. Sometimes it can be 50-50, but neither of them does much. So it's not... It, I mean, it's, it's a great artist, but it is a courageous, difficult kind of balancing act mm-hmm. to uh, constantly um, be moving both forward at the, at the same time. The, mm-hmm. the, the, the picture of the world, it's, it's picture and painting uh, mm-hmm. at once. Now, I think, you know, the, uh, the, the cut-out shapes on the models, there's one, a male model, a female model, and an abstract model, and then the cut-outs, that, it, that does seem to be the... the the, the first, you know, the last uh, page in the book here, it's, it's what, what we can expect in the next installment. But um, I didn't think it was what was uh, most significant, most powerful in this show. You did. I did. I mean, partly well, I have an affection for name. abstraction and anyone who seems to move it forward in an interesting way instead of it? just sort of mm-hmm. hiding, hiding out. You know, I think, mm-hmm. that, I think that's really important. Um, and I think if you look at her, she did a 1991 painting called Night Sculpting, and it's people making lumps of clay on drafting tables, right. and it's really, like she has a real affection for art She loved art school. Art she loved school. art school. You can yeah. tell it. That this, right. is a, this is a woman who just loved being at Columbia and loved being but at Cleveland. But not Columbia. I gave a talk on her in Cleveland, where she went yes. to art school before Columbia, and it was like old home day. It's like right. everybody loved Dana. She right. comes back. She's so, you know, I think she, it's not, um, it's, she's not painting a class where Jerry Salt is sitting there, you know, giving them tips or, you know, she's not painting a class where she's mm-hmm. doing something incredibly sophisticated. This no, is the, the most dumb the, version of art school. This is the Cleveland. This is Cleveland. This is not New York. But it's not only the male and the female model, but also the, uh, the big, the big, uh, how we cured, how we, did, how we cured the plague. That's in a space that could be very, it looks educational. It has a and sense it, of it, the skylit art room. Isn't it hard to look at the shark and not think of Damien Hirst? And not only da- Damien Hirst, again, to do the thing I said to, to people, do the, the, the thing it's tiresome, but it to, look at, to look at an um, American painting, and I can't remember right. now because I'm an idiot. I can't remember what the name is of the, the famous painting. Is it the oh. shark? Dr. Yes, Watson. the shark in the one with the person going over. Watson and the Shark. Thank Wreck you, Marshall. Is it? Yeah. No, no, not Wreck of the Medusa. No, Watson and the Shark, the great American painting. Watson yeah. and the Shark. The shark's in the in the lower right hand corner, and they're you know. That's better. So yeah. so but but so and, and I also love that because um, there's a sort of Americanness and a dumbness, even though people always refer to, to the symbolists, the European symbolists, mm-hmm. and Gauguin. Because she things. has to be. I mean, in the painting that was in Greater New York, that seemed so much to be um, burial at Arnon. I mean, it just couldn't not be. Well, it's because she's she has the ambition, but also what it takes to fulfill that ambition, to fill a canvas with a great deal of life and multi-figure compositions are, um, you know, very hard feat to pull off, and, and she it's does it. Painting. Therefore, it is history it's history painting. It's not just that it's history painting, it's also that it's uh, a technical accomplishment that re- that is rare and therefore relates her to a period which was more fecund in that accomplishment. But I think also to do something that's so ambitious for painting, you know, from the small-scale abstraction, which is so difficult to pull off, to the large-scale thing that's about the end of... The end of of the Enlightenment, the end of right. progressive society, the end of science, the end of medicine. You know, we're just all we're going to hell in a handbasket. You know, and mm-hmm. and so and so I think to make a painting that's 
that's scaled and takes on those those issues is really tough. You know, you, not just for Andreas Gursky to do it, but right. yeah. But those are the paintings of hers that work for me. But hearing you say that that I think it's just as tough. You know, I think the painting called abst uh, uh, Abstract Model. I think it has to be seen in relation to male and female model. And I don't think I, I, you may want to see it as the uh, Dana Schutz becoming an abstract painter. I see it as Dana Schutz depicting abstract painting. Mm -hmm. I think it's about abstraction rather than being an abstract painting. Um, I think that she is absolutely to her fingertips uh, a figure painter, somebody who 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 pictures the world and. In that painting, she's not picturing the world abstractly. She's picturing abstraction as one thing in the world. I think that's a footnote piece. So I'm, I'm, it's fine that you and Colby love it, but I think that it's not the main event. It really no I, pun intended. Main event. That's very bad. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, for me, she is interested. I mean, I wouldn't call her an abstract painter, and who knows? Maybe yes, she's right. becoming one. But it encompasses everything, and you know, mm. like, is Richter an abstract painter? And I don't painting know. in general, isn't it an abstract practice? Yeah, and all of her work has always had stuff that's about the difference between two D and three D, and a, yeah. she always always painting sculptures and people making sculptures. You know, and so so I think it doesn't have the level of irony. Maybe it's so mm. fine. I think that this generation of artists doesn't mm. have that level of irony where they're they're depicting abstraction mm -hmm. in the way that you might think that some 50-year-old um, artists who, who really live through postmodernism and the mm -hmm. rejection of abex and the brushstroke are. So I think yes. it's, it's, it's calibrated somewhere between oh, well, total faith and... Sure, she's not Jonathan yeah. Lasker, but um, uh, uh, I, uh, nor, nor is she, however, um, uh, Bill Jensen in that painting. So I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's abstraction is in quotes. But we can... Sorry, we'll, we'll look forward very much to bringing you in in a moment. Um, well, actually, bizarrely enough, I was actually wanting us to focus on what I thought was one of the strongest, most interesting painting, how, how, we, how we danced. Um, and that is the one, it's the most interesting, but maybe the most forced. Uh, it, I think yeah. I, I get the sense that what we're doing is we're standing, we're looking in a diagonally sloped window uh, mm -hmm. through down into a kind of area where people are dancing. But mm -hmm. then there's something going on that might be depicted in the world itself, those, uh, there may have been some kind of tape on the window, but then again, maybe not. I think maybe the tape is something that's akin to the black holes in the, the yeah, model well, paintings. Yes, them. and uh, interestingly, she did have literally masking tape for most of those shapes, except the big C, which is clearly hand-drawn. What's going on there? What's, what's, what's that about? Katie? I don't know. It's, I don't know it's freaky. It's, a, it's abstraction cropping up in the middle of, of the painting, mm -hmm. which I think you see sometimes. I think like in Carrie James Marshall's more recent work, there have been areas where suddenly there are parts that will just sort of dissolve into a prismatic thing. Neo Rauch. Ne Neo Rauch. And I think probably the mm -hmm. person that is the, the, the bad person that you're thinking of but didn't name might be Jules de Ballancourt, you know, who does. Oh, yeah, because he shows Oh, I like him. He's fun. He's, I've got nothing against Jules. Uh, but, uh, but I mean, there's, and there's something similar there. Goofy, where there's sort yeah. of and also that whole apart. school, that whole school that came out of uh, Los Angeles, uh, no, Chris San Francisco. Chris Johansson. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. But I think that's what those two people usually mean when they talk about sort of the faux naive. But I think in a lot of artists. Oh, I don't think the faux naive is limited to them. I think it's quite pervasive. Um, but so that that's something I think that falling apart of that abstraction cropping up or an interfering with representational painting is a thing that people do now. And that's it's very interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yes. Mm. It's a very, I mean, the sort of uh, dead horse of teetering. I mean, as an editor, won't allow writers to say teetering on the brink of representation yeah. and abstraction. Yeah. Mm. But so to come at that problem as a painter, it, mm. that, yeah. it was a new solution. And to interrupt it and not just sort of mm -hmm. do it gently, but just right. it's, it, was, it was violent. Um, yeah. Which I thought was, and the painting is violent. Yeah, so I thought that was really um, interesting. And I would just say that the basement theme, um, basement party, was also a theme in, in, in Chelsea for some reason, like Kai Altoff, Micheline Thomas. There was a lot of basement action. That show. Mm. Glad we're not talking okay. about the Kai Altoff show. Yeah. So I think it's a good moment to bring in the audience again because uh, the next couple of shows we'll be running up on we might what inevitably happens is that one talks about the last show one has seen, and I, I think we'd all love to hear what other people think of Dana Schutz and, and to probe us on what we feel. But if you could wait for the mic, that would be appreciated. Thank you. I'm still, I'm still hungry to know about the tape. Because, I mean, to me, 
It was truly unsuccessful, that combo of uh, figurative and abstraction. But I'm just curious, it, uh, what you think? Well, thank you, but didn't we really we kind of we say as much as we about. could? Uh, I feel we perhaps said no. what we could, but if you, it's interesting to hear from you that you feel it was particularly unsuccessful. Um, you thought it was successful? Well, I found that painting to be um, like a particular sort of problem-solving painting, even in just how the value of the color was also close, mm -hmm. so that um, it wasn't for me, it was successful in a certain way, but it didn't maybe resonate the way the big, the big painting for me was the strongest painting, although mm -hmm. I loved the couple in the car. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and I thought actually the way those rust patches yeah. operated, the way Great. the tape and the sea, it was just more, I quivered and it moved yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm gonna be very naughty and tell you something I shouldn't, but I, I went in for, an, uh, I had to, I was reviewing it the day it opened, so I had to have a preview of the show. You yeah. wanted to do that though, you didn't have to do it, because you chose to do that. Chose to do what? To review it today, I don't know. Well, the show I, was up for weeks. Yeah, but I write for a newspaper that likes to get in there first. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's the modern world, you know. You don't, I, I don't write for a newspaper that puts a show down by reviewing it on the day it closes. <laughs> oh, you haven't noticed? <laughs> yes. I'm actually not going to share that anecdote with you because I'm going to... Let's hear from the audience. Yes, yes. Can you pass the mic back to you? Yes. I thought this show was an absolute knockout because, as you well described in your review, she's doing all these things at the same time which are hard to put together, and she does it in a fresh way. That is, she's not belaboring all of this paint and moving it around. She gets it right at the very beginning, and she not only is getting all the line, strong line work, in these paintings, and everything is, she's pulling out all the stops. I'm, I'm truly thrilled by this painting, and mm. as, as an added bonus, she's got the, <coughs> these quirky ideas that she's showing us, and uh, she's got sensational color. Yeah. The color is sensational. Yeah. The it's light as well. Always think? singing, Not... even though it might be mm. at a very low tide, very, <sighs> very quiet, dark. It's always working. Yes, but her paintwork is amazingly um, related to a lot of um, quite traditional American. Um, well, not necessarily that traditional, but quite a, quite a lot of American painters at the moment. I, I saw a lot of Lois Dodd in the way uh, the paint just stays on the canvas and the, and, the, and the light and the color. Is that because she's looking at Dodd or maybe Katz or other artists like that? Or is it just because a certain kind of painting, a way of painting will produce a certain effect? Yeah, That's a technical question that, uh, you know, one leaves in abeyance. Um, um, Anyone else? Yes, uh, can you pass them to the back there? Hi. Um, I just thought that the painting with the uh, tape on it, uh, it kept reminding me of like a modeling stand in a figure drawing class, like on the surface when they mark where the model is before the model takes a break. And, uh, you know, I just... I when I think of the painting now, like, I don't even really remember anything else but the tape, I, you know, but I just know it was, like, a very brown painting and sort of splotchy, splotchily painted like a modeling stand might be after a few, you know, years of use. So just wanted to say that. Yeah, that's nice. That's a nice that's thought. Really nice, yeah. You know, one of the things that really strikes me about Schutz as well is that um, it's, again, this sort of yin-yang thing. On the one hand, she's really a painter about life. There's just the whole of existence and feeling and whatever. Not just modern life, modern life, but also life itself and boom, boom, boom. And that's often pitted against. You see, you say, they say you're either a painter who's really about life, you're creating fictions and narratives and, and, and you're connected to uh, you know, existence, or there's art about art. And yet this is also very much a show that's about painting. Don't you think about Reinhardt art. felt that he was a painter of life no. too, in a way? No, no. No, no, he didn't think. He thought it was just 
it was in the studio and art shouldn't be about life. Yeah, but the, yeah. the thing, funny thing is, and this is something that's relentlessly irritating, is that people think that art and life are, are separate. But if you're an artist, art is part of your life. And if you're an art critic, art is part of, yeah. you know, so, so the idea that there's life and then there's art, or there's everyday things and then there's well, art. So uh, it's, and I think for her, art is, you know, how to make a painting is part of getting, you know, having a how to make husband how to make or having a baby or what, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's all it's all part of your everyday life. I mean, but isn't that, you know, you've got the woman deliver, giving birth and looking at a painting at the same time. So that's, uh, it's apparently her... It's her life. Right. Sorry? No, no. I was just... We're just muddling. Sorry. Okay, you, you muddle and then give <laughs> no. a real challenge to our <laughs> no, 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 editor sorry. to have to take out the muddle while preserving my gems of uh, insight. <laughs> But I just wanted to say, listening to Katie, I suddenly realized that the, the one painting I liked least in the show is suddenly perhaps the most important, and that's Mona. Because um, Mona, you talked, when, as soon as you said, here's a painter find, who's able to paint without irony, um, I realized that, the, that Mona is not taking on Da Vinci, it's taking on Duchamp. It's saying, you can do something funny, you can turn around the Mona Lisa, but you don't have to put a mustache on her. I don't know about that. I don't know no. that I agree with that either. Because it's such, it's painting so engaged with painting. Yeah. Yes. That. I don't think that's the big mustache. Mm, no. No. She's not making. I don't think she's making fun of abstract. Does anyone know? I haven't. I. I mean, I. What do you mean? She, no. You mean does anyone ask her? Yeah, I didn't. That's not the same thing. Her, I <laughs> but does anyone have a? Does anybody else have some like secret idea about the Mona that David's asking her? Because I. I don't. Well, I don't it, think it's, it's Duchamp. I think it's. No, that's what I mean. Well, I'm saying that I'm not saying literally that's her intention. I'm saying my interpretation is uh, that here she is uh -huh. by, by showing that you can redo Mona Lisa in your own language now, uh -huh. uh, you're showing that you can do something uh -huh. with Mona Lisa other than drawing a moustache on her. Yeah, I think there's definitely... What's possible yeah. for painting yourself. Yeah, it's yes. a different historical attitude. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good. Enough painting. It's uh, too much painting's bad for you. We need to look at some sculpture. So we're going to move on and look together at our last two shows. Don't worry, you'll get back to your baby soon. <laughs> um, Rebecca Warren, some of us have been looking forward for quite some time to seeing this uh, British artist. Sorry? Yes, yes. And um, I must say, I, must say I, I got a little misguided by the website. I should have looked carefully at the address because, of course, this is Matthew Mark's project space, his, his cubicle gallery, his... Um, uh, so uh, when I looked at the website, I saw a whole range of Rebecca Warrens. I thought, aha, we'll finally get to see Rebecca Warren. But instead, we saw two pieces by Rebecca Warren. Um, <laughs> one quite untypical of hers, but it's not working quite interestingly with uh, Schwartz and uh, Hawkinson, perhaps. Husband 7, 2007. Uh, mixed media, neon and transformer. But is it quite atypical, David? Because in trying to do a little research, I get yes. the sense that it is. Ah, well, I... I, I know she's used maybe a similar yeah. thing in between. So yes. Is it the vitrinelessness that makes it... And the scale. I, I think it's one of her the, things, the yes. The scale of it. But I think perhaps this what we thing. more think of when... What, what I more think of when I think of Rebecca Warren is a kind of... Um, a what... Well, I, I'm, I'm supposed to just be showing the slides without any kind of value judgment. And, um, wow. and yet, as I show the slides, I, I want to say it's sort of... A, so many rules. A, a YBA William Tucker. A sort of, uh, uh, it's got some... Anyway, uh, we're also going to be looking at Kathy Butterley at the same... Um, oh, together. Uh, um, okay, so we'll deal uh, briefly, although I'm sure we'd love to stay here all night talking about these great shows. But uh, um, Rebecca Warren... Um, Rebecca Warren follows on nicely from Dana Schutz in a way, doesn't she, uh, Katie? I mean, I think what's interesting that you can see the difference between painting and, and sculpture, at least for, for artists, and say, like, Rebecca is 10 years older than Dana, maybe, but, but for roughly for, young, for younger artists, and that is um, that, that I think that, that painting is dealing with painting as a historical entity more than as a, as a canon of specific painters, 
with whom you have to deal, but it's interesting to see how much sculpture feels like you ha has to address itself specifically to certain figures. So she addresses herself to Marcel Duchamp, in mm -hmm. this show with MD is the title and then the other piece is um, Seventh Husband is like the bride and the bachelors her, ver mm -hmm. her sort of DIY again version mm -hmm. of that and then um, it makes you think of Rachel Harrison whose show was a one by one by yes. one addressing herself to you know Judd etc cetera, etc cetera. and then the um, Casey Kaplan mm, Jonathan Monk the, another young British fellow, yes. you know, addressing himself to again to to Chris Burden, to Donald Judd, to to a series of sculptures. So, so um, for for sculptors, addressing yourself to the question of what is sculpture means addressing yourself to um, a, a body of a number of people, and that for painters, it mm -hmm. means addressing yourself to this larger historical, less na name because maybe there's too many. I don't know. Do you think she's particularly addressing Duchamp in the plaster works, though? No, I think no. in this in this yes. show she was. For me, the, mm. the for me the 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 plaster works are 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 very very directly related to Rodin and de Kooning. Yeah, and yes. that's and yeah. that she's she's. It's so obvious that she must be directly addressing them in some way. So it's not totally impertinent of me to mention William Tucker in relation to that work. Then I'm not sure that she, she's because William Tucker is very much coming looking at those people and using plaster in a kind of mm. inchoate way um, to produce these very kind of megalithic and at the same time turd-like sort of scatological pieces. Um, uh, I think that's, um, I think it's, it's usually very, I mean, the funny thing is when you talk about a British sculptor or a sculptor in his 50s or 60s and bring that name up in relation to a sculptor in her 30s or 40s, people are going, oh my goodness, what a Philistine, you can't do that. And yet, um, I mean, formally, I think they, they relate very strongly. But, but what did you make of... But I think it's that they share concerns. I think, I think yes. they share a reference point rather than that she is through his reference Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it doesn't have to be, yeah. I thought that it was so fucking hot in that little box yeah. today that I really couldn't stay inside it for very long, regrettably. That's ah. my honest answer. So I had a nice chat But you could have stood on, the, the stood on the street and looked in. I did, I did, and there were like three guys that wouldn't stop talking, the guy who worked there... Um, I missed her solo show in 2005, so the only, and I rarely leave this town, so the only, I haven't seen it in London, or I had seen an interesting show that Jeffrey Peabody had curated at um, Matthew Mark's 24th Street space two summers ago, and her work had really stood out to oh, me. Oh, yes. It had been much more figural, I had mm -hmm. sort of even had a Gaston Lachaise sort of hit, mm -hmm. and Rodin would be an obvious touch stone. I hadn't known about the, the collage works, which I guess she calls sketchbooks and are mm -hmm. her, for her function as sketches. Um, there were only two pieces in the show. Yes, it really puts us on our toes to, to come yeah. to terms with an artist <laughs> with two pieces. But uh, Kathy and Butterly did give us a, a bigger spread to work from, uh, but perhaps less diversity, funnily enough. Um, uh, coming, coming at sculpture from a, a much more craft-informed sensibility. Um, uh, Kate, uh, Andrea, what did you make of Butley? Were you, were you energized by this work? Yeah, I mean, formally, it's delightful. It's impressive. Um, I, for me, the bump up in scale, it, the work, I don't know if those of you familiar, it's her 10th solo show in New York, so they used to be much tinier, and they mm -hmm. had more mystery, mm -hmm. I think. Um, but hey, the, the dinner party, which is not my favorite piece, I, I felt like, here's ceramic I could live with. Um, <laughs> it's lovely. The works on paper d did nothing for me. Um, but they're you know, charming, and I guess I don't have a lot to say about them, though. Yeah. A little craft. 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 Yeah, they're definitely craft, aren't they, because of their skill. I mean, and they, they wear their skill on their shoulder in a way, don't they? Uh, but I found them rather exhilarating pieces in, in many ways. Um, but, um, uh, Katie, how did you take to them? I thought it was interesting to see how much a small change in scale made them look absolutely enormous. Mm -hmm. You know, so it was a teeny change, but it made them look absolutely enormous. And I also thought it was funny because I don't usually see a show, and I like her work, mm -hmm. but I don't usually see a show where um, I think the artist is so uneven that I think I thought there was only one good piece in the, in the show. I don't like I didn't like the necklaces. I don't I don't yeah. like that thing. I thought it was weird. And but um, but I thought there was one one good piece, and the other pieces were too smooth. 
Which was the good one, the one that had the raw the, when you clay? First, when you first came in, there was a piece that was more decorative and that had more surface. Not the crackly surface that David wasn't sure it was in the show, but the one more plenty, I think. Yeah, the that grayish was, one that was like a melted yeah. lotus. Yeah. 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 yeah, that was the only really was successful the piece. Ugliest one in yeah. a way, too. Yeah, but it, yeah. So it but sort we, of risked risk We need ugly. She was in a group show um, uh, at, um, uh, um, with a wonderful title from Emily Dickinson. No, from HD. Uh, which I've forgotten now. Um, sorry. Don't stir the trash. No, something like clay's gold or uh, whatever. Uh, um, in which her work was in, the, in a, it's a four or five person group show, but one of her co-exhibitors was Nicole Carabini, a kind of rather interesting uh, emerging artist actually. Cherubini. I go for the Italian. You say I'd say Carabini, but. Um, uh, well, she can do what she likes. So it's a ch. It's a, in Italian, it's a hard. It would be Cherubini would be ce. So, uh, but that's rather besides the point. Um, I kind of feel we're not. We're rather selling poor Kathy Butley short here. But I'm looking at the watch and feeling that perhaps the uh, May 11th review panel has reached a point where we can ask the audience for an, any last comments on these shows. Anybody wish to share with us some thoughts either on Rebecca Warren or on uh, Kathy Butterley? Um, otherwise, let me just say thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, Thank you. We finally got together. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were, we'll never have a drink.